0: book of Exodus chapter 3 this morning, please. Um, we're still in our uh, Are We There Yet series? If you missed, it feels, feels like it's been forever. Jason tapped on my door this morning and asked me if I were still remembered how to preach. I told him, we'll see. If you missed that message or you're just coming into our series now, the second message in, I really encourage you to go back and check uh, check out the website. We archive all of our messages there. Pat Finley last week with Impact Weekend. The week before that, Brother Tim Sumners uh, brought a great message about revival called Just One. And then the week before that was our introductory message into this series. Uh, where we looked at the fact that when we're talking about are we there yet, um, our spiritual journey and the progress that we make in our life, we're following the lives of the children of Israel as they come out of bondage. But we started off this series by saying, there are sometimes we don't even realize that there is a there there. We don't even realize that there is a journey. So that was the purpose of the first message in this series, was to remind us that for everybody, God has a plan for us. He has a purpose for us. Um, And then this morning, I want us to focus on the Deliverer. Now, let me tell you, I hope, I I do hope that this message um, enlightens us. I hope it, it teaches us something that we may not know before, I also hope that it encourages us in stuff that we have known before. But I also realize that with the life of Moses and looking at his calling on Mount Oreb, I realize that I'm not going to be able to address every facet of that amazing encounter that he has with God. I understand that. So I also hope, a third thing this morning, that this story and what little I'm able to cover of his life as the deliverer I hope that it will whet your appetite to get in and to, to study Exodus yourself and to really look at the life of this man, Moses. And I, do, I, hope, it, I hope it spurs us on to a further study. D.L. Moody said regarding Moses, he said, Moses spent the first 40 years of his life becoming somebody. He spent the second 40 years of his life becoming a nobody. And he spent the third 40 years of his life learning what God can do with a somebody who has become a nobody. Great, great background to the life of Moses. For those of you that may not know, Moses' story begins in the beginning of the book of Exodus. As we started talking about this, this is the seed of Joseph, um, who was sold into slavery, carried into Egypt, was faithful in all that he did, rose through the ranks, became very powerful in Egypt, was able to bless his brothers. That's in the book of Genesis. Exodus begins that Joseph has died. The descendants have multiplied. Pharaoh wanted to control the population, uh, made them, put them in the brick pits under the taskmaster's whip. He was going to subjugate them to the point that they would not be a threat to Egypt or to Pharaoh. So he kept them as slaves. They were a second-class citizen in Egypt. Their their taskmasters uh, beat them. Their taskmasters were horrible to God's people and for over 400 years they sat there in the brick pit generation after generation was there and at times you would have to think that they would have thought that God had forgotten him even though he had promised deliverance Moses is born as a baby in the time when Pharaoh is wanting all the Hebrew males to be killed uh, he was wanting them all to be dead the midwives were, would, uh, would not allow these babies to be killed. The Hebrew midwives, they made sure that they lived. In that instance, life won. Moses was, was realized that he was beautiful. They realized, his mom and dad, that he had a plan, that God had a plan for him. They put him in a wicker basket, as it was, and sent it down the Nile River to Pharaoh's daughter, who was bathing. She gets him out, Moses cries. She becomes the mother to Moses at that time. She adopts Moses. He is raised in Pharaoh's court. He is raised with all of the privileges, the pomp and pageantry that would come, a royal in Egypt at that day. But at some point in his life, he comes to grips with the fact that he is not an Egyptian, but he is indeed an Israelite. He is a son of a slave. There's this struggle going on in Moses' life. And when you read Hebrews chapter 11, which I would recommend you to cross-reference, Hebrews chapter 11 Verses 23 is where it begins. It starts talking about that struggle in Moses' life. He comes to a point where he would much rather suffer with his people than to enjoy, the Bible says, the pleasures of sin in Egypt. So at some point in Moses' life, he comes to this understanding that I am am one of the slaves, I am not one of Pharaoh's court. And he sides with God's people. He goes to be one of them. And the Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 2 that Moses is out one day and he sees an Egyptian being very hard on a Hebrew, on a slave. And Moses rises up and kills the Egyptian, buries his body in the sand. And the next day he goes out to see two Hebrews arguing among one another. Moses goes up to them and tries to calm them and tries to, to settle the argument. And one of them says, are you going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? And then Moses hits an uh-oh moment. People know. People realize that I've killed an Egyptian. And he flees, runs out of Egypt. He finds himself at a well in a, ta- in a region called Midian. And there at that well, this lady comes up. He, he defends them from some marauders. Uh, they run home, tell their dad, this This uh, Egyptian has saved us. Well, dad says, go get the man and bring him home. And uh, he sets him up with one of his daughters. Moses is now married. Moses has a job as a as a, a herdsman, a, a shepherd for his father's father-in-law sheep. Great transition has taken place in Moses' life. Brand new life now. He's a, he's a free man. He's... <laughs> probably the only free Hebrew at that time he's outside of bondage he's got a new life he's got a family all of Egypt is now behind him but then something happens I want you to join me in reading this incredible story in chapter 3 verse 1 now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro his father-in-law the priest of Midian and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Oreb the mountain of God the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, he called to, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place whereon you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. For now I know their sorrows. So I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh." that you may bring my people the children of Egypt or the children of Israel out of Egypt. Let's stop there. We probably have in our minds this uh picture of what the perfect person would look like that God would use. If you think about it, this person in our mind might have a a treasure trove of biblical knowledge. They may be very personable they may be very skilled and gifted at certain things people are attracted to them though those may be some of the the qualities that you may think in your mind that the perfect person the the perfect vessel that God uses that that's the person and really it's not if you go back and look at God's track record he has used some of the most unlikely people to accomplish his will he has used people that were imperfect. Obviously, every one of us are. Some of them had imperfections that that greatly outweighed their 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 their, 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 their uh, redeeming qualities. God used liars and thieves. God used people who couldn't talk. God used people who were weak. God used people who were strong spirit or physically but weak spiritually. God used all different kinds of people to accomplish His will. And I want you to see why. Because we have in our mind that God uses a certain kind of person, and oftentimes that is a way that we might excuse ourselves away. We might be able to say, Well, I'm not that person. I, I'm not good with people. And, and you know what? I really don't have a whole lot of biblical knowledge. And, and I definitely don't have as many me- verses memorized as other people. And you know what? People don't flock to me. And I don't know that I have many skills or gifts. Oftentimes, we get that picture of someone that looks nothing like us because we want to try to excuse ourselves away from being used of God. If you are the person that is flawed, if you are the person that has issues and struggles and trials and, and difficulties and your imperfections are on display, you are a prime candidate, according to God's track record, to be used by him. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, listen to this, for you see your calling, brethren, listen to this, he's writing to First Baptist Church Corinth people, you want to talk about flaws? okay? You want to talk about imperfections on display? The Corinthian believers were imperfect. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many wise, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world to put to shame the things that are despised because God has chosen them. God has chosen the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are. This is the reason why. That no flesh should glory in His presence. What Paul is writing to the believers about and saying that the reason God has chosen the weak and the poor and the beggarly and the base things to use these, these, these flawed vessels, God delights in it, so that no flesh can glory in His presence. Think about this for a moment. When we're talking about no flesh glorying in His presence, I have always understood that to be, well, God uses me as a flawed person so I won't be able to glory in what I've done. So it'll be obvious that, you know what, it's not me. But you know what? I'm not the only one that's covered in the word all flesh. God wants to use the weak and and the the ones that don't seem wise, the the, the ones that seem like the bad picks. God wants to use them, not just so the pick won't be able to glory, but so that the people around will say, you know what? (laughs) That's not him that's doing that. That's God that's doing that. He wants all of the glory. What an awesome thing to consider. That God, it's not just about God can use you. God wants to use you. With your imperfections, with your cracks, with your issues, our God is big enough to use A flawed vessel for His glory. Amen? Moses was seeming to be like one of the least guys you would want to choose. He was a murderer. Last time he was in Egypt, he was running because he killed somebody. He He was a man with a new season in life. Just being able to settle down, wife, new job seems like he was almost the least likely man for the job on the surface but when you start to dig deeper this man who seemed to be like the least likely man for the job you start to see the fingerprints of God on his life you see when he was first born his parents recognized this kid's got a plan. God's got a plan for this kid They made that special little boat to send him down to the river to Pharaoh's daughter. Best possible chance that kid had was to be with Pharaoh's daughter. God preserved Moses' life from the time he was born. Put him in the system. He was a man that had dual citizenship, folks. God used him to have all of the wisdom and the the education the, the cultural background of the Egyptians. God even saved him. Brought him out to a place. God even got right in the middle of his path. This was a man who no doubt had flaws. Was imperfect. But this was a man that throughout his life. You can begin to see the fingerprints. And God moving him. And putting him right where he wanted him to be. For his particular purpose. Now let me tell you something guys. I am convinced. That God's calling and plan for you. Think about this. This is big. God's planning and call and purpose for you and I began long before we ever realized it. God was moving, placing, positioning, gifting. You say, but Pastor, my childhood was a wreck. Yeah. There were a lot of kid there were a lot of people who had wrecks as childhood. Look at Joseph. You say, but pastor, you don't, you don't understand all of the things, the hurtful, the painful things. I'll tell you this, I believe God can allow those things to happen in your life. I'm not saying that God pushed you into those bad things, but that God can allow those to happen and to bring you through those so that you have an opportunity to minister in a way that nobody else can to certain people in your life. Every one of us, friends... Every one of us, I am convinced, has a calling and a purpose from God. And that calling and the purpose began long before we ever realized it. You can say today, that's the joy of being a follower of Christ. I can say today, wow, God, you have a plan for my life. Now let me consider how you have moved me and placed me through unique situations and scenarios in my life. To prepare me for this. He didn't realize, no doubt. Moses didn't realize that God was doing all that for him. Notice the second thing. Look at the method of God's calling. We saw the man that God chose to use, but look at the method of God's calling. It was a bush burning, yet not consumed. I love it. In verse number two, it says the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Notice verse three, then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight of why the bush does not burn. This is a truth you see played out throughout Old Testament and New Testament. God often has to get our attention before he gets our submission. You see that played out throughout the pages of God's word. Let me give you an example. Isaiah chapter six. Isaiah saw this vision of the Lord high and lifted up where in the temple. Isaiah saw this vision with the cherubim and the seraphim and they were flying around and they were sounding holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. Isaiah sees that. No doubt he trembles. He says, woe is me for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips dwelling in the midst of a people with unclean lips. Let's just say Isaiah chapter 6 is an account of God getting someone's attention. God says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? What, is, what does Isaiah say? A shaky hand. Uh, Here I am, send me. God got Isaiah's attention before he ever got Isaiah's submission. Think about Luke chapter 5. Those fishermen sitting on the side of the Sea of Galilee, mending their nets. They had spent all night fishing and had caught nothing. Jesus, the master teacher, the rabbi, comes out and says, go out, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Well, now wait a second. You're a a rabbi. We're the fishermen. You know, we fished all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, we'll let down the net. What do they do? They go out into the deep. They let down their nets. They get a catch so big that it takes two boats to bring it in. Peter comes back to the bank, falls down at Jesus' feet, and says, depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. Jesus says, come follow me. Acts chapter 9. Saul of Tarsus, waging war on Christians of the day, on his way to Damascus to oversee the imprisonment of another group of Christians. And as he's on the road to Damascus, he sees the Lord. He falls off of his horse onto the ground. There's this blinding light and this voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And do you remember Saul's first two words, first two questions? Who are you, Lord? And what do you want me to do? See, to the spiritual, God revealed Himself in a spiritual way. To the fishermen, He revealed Himself. He caught their attention through fish. To the prideful, Saul, He knocked him off his horse. Appeared to him in a way that overpowered him. And here to Moses, a shepherd, watching out for the security of his sheep, notices a flame in a tree. And Moses says, I will turn aside. Guys, listen to me. I believe God's call on your life is so important that long before today, He has been putting markers in your life. There have been things that have been happening in your life that cause you to turn aside and take notice. Something different. Something out of the ordinary. Maybe it's something that knocked you down like Isaiah. Maybe it's something that caused your knees to quake like it did Isaiah. Maybe It knocked you down like it did Saul. Maybe it's something that you were blessed with abundance like the Apostle Paul or, or the disciples in a way that you had never been before. God got right in the middle of Moses' path, guys. Don't forget that. God knew who He was, knew where He was, and placed that burning bush it's been said that the only thing that was consumed on Mount Oreb was Moses will and there is a lot of truth to that friends the bush would not burn but Moses will was swallowed up notice this third thing Moses right when God says this is what I want you to do Moses says yeah God I've been waiting on you God I mean I'm ready let's do this Where have you been? I've been waiting on you for 35 years. That's not at all what happened. Moses was reluctant. Great dialogue there between Moses and God for any of us that are a little slow to accept God's call in our life and to take that step of faith in the revealed Word of God. Moses has words with God and God has the final word. Moses starts to say that he can't speak very well. He stutters. God says, I'll take care of that. I made your mouth. I want you to consider something. The third thing, the means provided for the work. Moses, please hear this. Moses did not have to come up with anything. Nor did Moses have to bring anything to the table. Moses didn't have to bring an eloquent speech. Moses didn't have to bring the power of plagues. All Moses had to do was to give God what he had god uses his relationships his relationships with his people back in egypt god uses his relationship with his brother aaron to send him beside him to help help him speak god uses his relationship and his knowledge of egypt that as god was positioning him and putting him right Where he wanted to be. God used his staff. Do you remember? God tells Moses to throw your staff down. He throws his staff down and God turns it into a serpent. God tells him to take his hand and put it into his coat. When Moses pulls it back out, it's leprous. God tells him to put it back in his coat. And he puts it back in his coat and he pulls it back out again. And it's fine. It's healed as though a baby's skin. Moses didn't have to bring anything to the table. He didn't have to come up with this great plan. He didn't have to come up with all of this power and strength and strategy. All he had to do was to say, okay, and walk in obedience to what God told him to do we often think, well, I've got to do this, got to do that. I need to be at a new stage in life before I can walk in obedience to God. I, I need to, to make sure that, that we're secure in our home or uh, that this job thing goes through. No. No. I promise you, when God calls you, the answer should be yes without exception not just what we say it's when we say it that's important god guys think about this let me end on this god came to moses at the most important time do you remember in our first message god told abraham three generations before this. Your people are going to go and serve as servants, as slaves. They're going to be under a taskmaster. And God says, I'm going to leave them there for 400 years for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. What God was saying is I have a land for them, but the inhabitants of the land, their their sin has not risen to the level worthy of me driving them out yet. So when God comes to Moses and He says, I am the God of your father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, what God is saying is it's time to go. 400 years have passed. And now I'm keeping my promise that I made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The time is now. Let me ask you one quick question. The Bible doesn't say thankfully, that Moses ever walked away. But let me ask you a question. How could Moses have walked away? Nobody in the world outside of God had a better understanding of what those people were going through than Moses himself. To walk away from God at Mount Orb and to say, nope, get somebody else. God could have gotten somebody else. But how could Moses... Have walked away knowing the plan of God, the power of God, and His people's cries. I believe from that moment, if he walked away, he would have been the most uncomfortable, miserable man that ever there was. Maybe for us, it's not just being, hearing, and understanding what God wants us to do right now. But maybe it's it's important for us to realize what happens if we don't. Don't get me wrong. I'm not placing too much on your shoulders. I'm I'm not trying to suggest that without us, the world will fail. God's still in control. But how can we who know the penalty of sin and death? How can we who really believe that there is a literal hell and all who do not place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ will spend eternity there forever and ever and ever? How can we know that? Know the pleasures of being saved. How can we know that and walk away? You see there are two groups of people here. There are those who need to be delivered. (gasps) They were crying, weeping, wailing. And there was one God called to deliver. I don't know which side you fall on, but I can tell you this. All Of the world. All the world. Falls in one of those. Two categories. Those who need to be delivered. Or those who need to be a deliverer. Verse 7. I have surely seen. I have heard their cry. God saying this. I have seen the oppression. I have heard their cry. I know their sorrows. I have come down to deliver them. To bring them up. Verse 10. And I will send you. Wow. Powerful words. See, Moses knew. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. He told his people, God is going to raise up a prophet like me and you will hear him. In the book of Acts in Peter's first sermon, he said that that prophet that Moses said was going to be raised up was Jesus Christ.